again with the Tac Talks podcast where everything we talk about is of the game and for the game of football. Semi-finals have been set. It's going to be PSG versus Man City and it's going to be Chelsea v Real Madrid. I bet everyone's looking forward to those games. I know I am. It's going to be really exciting, especially the game to PSG and Man City. Man City have not qualified for the semi-finals since 2004. 14, I think it is, or 2015. I'm not sure which year it is. It might be 2015, but it's going to be a really exciting. It's going to be a really exciting set of games, and it'll be interesting to see who qualifies. But before we get into that, just want to go over the second leg of the quarterfinals, go over the different matches, the different face-offs. Right, we're going to see how PSG managed to hold on to knock last year's champions Bayern Munich out. We're also going to look at. The the second side between Dortmund and Man City, how Dortmund managed to score first and put pressure on Man City, but Man City managed to come back into it because of a little tweak by Guardiola, a little tactical tweak by Guardiola to, to improve his side's in-possession structure and put them back in favour. And as we know, it worked out. And now City in the semi-finals as well. Final game, obviously, is going to be the second leg to Real Madrid-Liverpool. 0-0 draw, but Liverpool did improve from the first leg. We're going to see how they did so. And also, the reason behind the solidity of that Real Madrid defence. So, let's start off with the first game. It was PSG versus Bayern Munich. PSG came into this leading by three goals to two. They had three away goals. Bayern Munich needed to grab two goals at the back of the Prince in order to get back into the game without conceding any. A difficult job, but obviously not. Uh, not uh, it, was, it was very possible for a team like Bayern. But one problem that they had was the amount of the number of injuries that they had, especially the key one was Lewandowski, who was missing an, a potent finisher in front of goal. And we know that whenever you need to score goals or you need to come back from from uh, you need to you need a comeback, you need a player like Lewandowski on the pitch to convert those chances for you. And I'm not saying that Chupa Moteng didn't do didn't did a bad job. No, he scored a goal and he, like like that was what he was there to do. So and it was an excellent goal by the way, running behind on the blind side of the opponent to then convert the header. He started off. Or where the defender could see him, then he, uh, then he fainted backwards. Defender had eyes on the ball, didn't see Triple Motang behind him, running in behind. On the blind side, the cross came in, excellent pinpoint header, and just like that, uh, and just like that, Bayern were back in the tie. But I just want to say, and obviously I, I do believe that everyone will agree with me on this, is that if Lewandowski were playing this game it would have been different. I truly believe that Bayern would have qualified because whenever you've got a player like Lewandowski up front, it's it's much more reassuring for the players. I'm not only talking tactically, I'm talking mentally as well because the players then know that, that they've got 
a very confident finisher up front. So however the chances come, there is a great likelihood that he is going to finish. He is going to get a goal. So obviously Lewandowski was a huge miss. So was Goretzka. Alaba had to start in midfield just like in the previous game when Goretzka was taken off. Bayern have got loads of injury concerns at the moment. And uh, yeah, they started uh, Davies at left back. They pushed him up a lot in order to overlap and underlap and help the attack. Pavard stayed back a bit in order to in order to form back three and sort of like provide a little bit of reassurance at the back, especially knowing that Mbappe was always threatening to run in behind. That was a really important thing. Uh, that was a really important factor. With PSG constantly looking to play on the counter attack, it was important to just re re that Bayern reassure themselves at the back and. In the end, there were a lot of chances fluff from both sides, let's just mention, especially from PSG. They had easy cut chances that they failed to convert. They could have they could have easily ended the tie or at least grabbed a little a cushion to like to rely on for the rest of the game. But like I said, missed chances and it might have cost them. It might have cost them at some point in the game, but they were lucky and they managed to qualify. Not saying I'm not taking any credit away by saying that they were lucky, because also Bayern were very lucky not to concede those chances. But the thing is that, like I said, it was a I I wouldn't say it was an even contest in terms of possession, but in terms of chance creation and and the threat that those chances offered, yes, it was even because both teams had their equal share of uh, dangerous chances. Bayern managed to, to convert one of them, but also credit to PSG for managing to hold out in the end and qualifying. PSG went from the same approach that they did in previous in the previous game. They stuck to their zonal defending. They defended in a sort of 4-4-2-4-4-1-1. Neymar would normally be the would normally be the focal point of the transition. They try and get the ball to him. He'd be he dropped to receive him between the lines, and he'd then turn and run at the defenders. He'd have Mbappe threatening to run in behind. That would push the Bayern defensive line backwards, allowing more space to dribble, to allow more space possibly for players like Draxler and Di Maria to receive in. And the most important bit that I mentioned was the idea of Mbappe running in behind, because if there weren't a threat in behind, then Bayern would not see the need to drop back with Mbappe and thus space would not be created for Neymar. So it goes to show how important Mbappe is, how important of an element Mbappe was in, in the entire game plan. Pochettino got his spot on again. There was no point in trying to keep the ball or try and create chances constantly or consistently because they already had the lead. And it's not easy to to make to maintain momentum against a team like Bayern Munich. At a certain point, you have to know that you have to concede possession and drop back a bit. And they did it really well. I've got to say, they did it really well. And it shows because they qualified in the end. Really entertaining game, despite the only goal scored. I think I, I do believe that everyone was on their seats for this one. And it's going to be it's, it's going to be interesting for next season what Bayern Munich do. There's a lot of talk now that Flick's leaving, so he might become Germany manager. It'll be interesting to see who, who Bayern choose to bring in. There's talk that they're eyeing Julian Nagelsmann. So yeah, 
pick themselves up for next season, maybe bring in a few new names. They've already got Upamecano coming in to like settle into that back line, provide a little bit of uh, provide a little bit of speed and pace in that back line to go back to playing a high line effectively and efficiently because when you've got quick defenders, even if there's a pacey forward against them, that they might be able to catch up to him if he manages to break the offside line. So, and PSG, looking forward to the will be looking forward to the game against Man City. It's going to be a really tough, it's going to be a really tough game, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Second game was the Dortmund v Man City game, where Man City managed to qualify past Dortmund to reach the Champions League semi-finals for the first time in, I'm going to say it's five years, since 2015, I'm going to say it is. With an exceptional performance by Man City and by Guardiola, I've got to say, with a small tweak, a little change that he made in the second half that really brought, brought the tie back into his team's favour. It took a penalty and a goal, an exceptional goal by Phil Foden to cement the tie, to cement the win. And let's just talk about what both teams did then. To First of all, for Dortmund to score and for Man City to come back and, and get the win for themselves. So, Dortmund started off... As they did in the first leg, it was a 4-5-1-4-1-4-1 mid-block. Haaland would cover Rodri to prevent access into him because, as we know, Rodri is the pivot of the team of Man City. If it gets to him, then the press is broken because he has the most passing options out of all of the plays distributed on the pitch. Man City basically resorted to the use of Zinchenko, sometimes as an inverted fullback, but many a time he would also stay out wide. In the second half, we saw the overlapping fullbacks. Both fullbacks would push up, or at least one would push up, and that would allow the winger to tuck in. But in the first half, I just want to mention that Guardiola went for the same system that he has been using for the past two months in the league, especially where he keeps his wingers high and wide. He inverts at least one of his two fullbacks or one of the fullbacks possibly creates a back three with the other two center with the two center backs and the other fullback inverts today or rather not today on the day it was Zinchenko inverting into midfield and it was Kyle Walker I think who was either inverting but most of the time he was creating a back three but also at times you see Zinchenko and Walker play conventional fullback roles meaning that they'd stay back and and it would basically be a back four. And I think what Guardiola was looking to do with that, he was looking to stretch Dortmund's shape. He was looking to stretch Dortmund's shape to create space in between the lines. But the problem with that was, whenever one of the fullbacks received in this position, the conventional fullback position at the back, whether it be Zinchenko or it be, Ma uh, sorry, not Mares, whether it be Walker, they would receive, but they would instantly be challenged by the ball near winger. The winger would step up and constrict space for the fullback. And many a time, the fullback would have to play negative. He would have to play back, back to the fullback, or rather back to the centre-back, considering that the inside pass was blocked by the winger, who would step up to engage the fullback. As such, Guardiola said that, or considered, I assume, that he needed to alter the shape a bit in order to maximise the space in between the lines. 
So one thing that he did was is instead of committing, I think it was six players in between the lines, he had one player less in between the lines and had that player drop next to Rodri from midfield in order to receive. And what that did then is that it would allow, first of all, the first pressing line of Dortmund to be bypassed, but also it would create a dilemma for one of the Dortmund defenders. Whenever the winger steps out, then that would create space either, either in the pocket between the Dortmund fullback, winger, midfielder and centre-back, or it would create space outside next to Rodri. Rodri was engaged by Haaland, so he can really come to receive. Instead, it was Gundogan who was constantly dropping into that little space in front of the second pressing line of Dortmund, in front of the five midfield line, in order to receive. And as such, it created more of a link between defence and attack than you'd normally see possibly either Foden or Kevin De Bruyne drop into that little pocket that we mentioned to receive from Gundogan. If the winger tried to commit to Gundogan or push up to Gundogan or midfielder tried to push up to Gundogan, then there would be space left once again for either KDB, who was positioned as false nine in this game, to drop and receive. Another standard for Guardiola, the use of the false nine. So to mention that ta little tactical tweak that Guardiola made, it just shows the level of awareness and genius behind the, behind the guy. He is honestly a master tactician. He sees things that other people don't see. And it's amazing, to be honest, to watch him work. It's really good to watch him work. Another tactician we'll be talking about later is Zinedine Zidane and the how underrated he is as a tactician. Anyway, that's for the next part. Anyway, carrying on with the Dortmund-Man City game. I just want to also give credit to Dortmund. Their game plan by Terzic was, was a really good one. At the start, for the first 20 minutes, City weren't, didn't really look like they were, they were comfortable in possession. And that's something that we've not grown used to from a side like Man City. Normally, you'd expect them to be able to penetrate any side. But Dortmund got their game plan on point. They cut off access to the, to the centre. Uh, they cut off the inside passes to prevent City from from playing inside or penetrating. City would then be forced to play around, which isn't really the best way to move up the pitch because it's so close to the touchline, it's easier to pressure the team in possession. And also, really good goal scored by Dortmund. An exceptional shot. I, I don't remember who scored it, but I do remember it was an exceptional shot scored. It was Bellingham, now I remember. I believe I forgot about him. Really promising young lad. Going to be, uh, I truly believe he's going to be such a good player for club and country, whichever club he's at. Excellent prospect and honestly a bargain for Dortmund. The way he's playing at the moment. They're just reviewing the goal. If you just remember the goal, it was played to Haaland. Haaland held it up for a bit and then there was a little... I think it was, I don't remember, I think it was Marco Royce who took a shot, it got deflected, and then it came to Bellingham who took the shot on himself. I think that was the goal. Yes. So, yeah, once again, Dortmund maybe were a bit unlucky because I think the penalty call changed 
the changed the momentum of the game, whether it, whether it was a penalty or not. Honestly, I'm not going to comment on that. Um, it's not for me to decide. The referee decided it was a handball. If I start talking about the debate on handball, I, the, the the episode today would be about two hours long. Not prepared to do that. So, yeah, once again, a really entertaining game with two brilliant goals. Bellingham's and Foden's goal. Excellent, excellent, excellent goal. And once again, uh, a, the biggest proof of the tactical acumen that Guardiola possesses and the exceptional team that Manchester City are. So, yeah, once again, it's gonna, I'm really looking forward to the game between Manchester City and PSG. I think it's going to be a cracker of a game. And, um, and yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And finally, we've got the Real Madrid-Liverpool game where Real Madrid managed to hold Liverpool to a 0-0 draw despite continuous pressure from Liverpool to try and score. And as such, Real Madrid were the ones that held on to their 3-1 aggregate lead to then qualify for the semi-finals. Real Madrid took much a much more conservative approach for this one. They didn't really try. They they relied mainly on counterattacks and attacking transition to try and create chances. But again, there wasn't that attacking threat that there was that there was in the first leg, especially considering how much Liverpool improved in this tie. They were much better against the ball, uh, whether we're talking pressure-wise or even uh, organisation the back line. There was a lot of, uh, in the last leg, there was a lot of isolation that took place or targeting of the duel between Vinicius Jr. and Trent because the because the difference in speed or maybe because Trent was continuously overloading that previous game. But in this game, once again, first of all, the defensive transition phase of Liverpool very much improved in this. Real Madrid didn't get, rarely got a chance to initiate a proper counter-attack that pushed Real Madrid backwards because Liverpool was so good at counter-pressing and getting the ball back quickly. Real Madrid had to push a lot of their players backwards. It left Benzema isolated up front. And that led to the very, to let's say, the lack of chances for Real Madrid in this game. Liverpool's continuous pressure paid off. They created a lot of chances. I... It didn't pay off, but they did get to the goal. Sometimes that's my point. And but there were a lot of chances that were fluffed. Something that Klopp mentioned in the post-match interviews that let's assume that chance that he mentioned the most Salah chance. Maybe if that went in, then it would have been a different game. And I agree. Sometimes it's in the moment. One chance can change the entire complexity or the entire outcome of a single game. So Liverpool have. I'd say only themselves to blame, sort of, because once again, they were really good on the ball, on the day, in all phases of the game. They were exceptional. They didn't really let Real Madrid out much of their own half. They're pressing really good, whether it be forcing Real Madrid towards the, towards the wing. They even pressured Courtois at times when he tried to build out and distribute. And that was something that they really needed in the first leg, where there was a lot of... Where their work off the ball was a lot more passive than in this one. And that basically was the reason why they conceded 
uh, I'd say two of the goals they they did concede in the first leg because of that passive approach that they took, allowing let's assume if we go back, allowing Tony Cruz to receive unchallenged and just play a long ball towards Vinicius. But in this game, once again, they press really high, excellent inside pressing. They blocked off access to Modric and Cruz so that they they could not get on the ball and they tried to direct the ball into easier areas to trap the Real Madrid players and pressure them into giving up, coughing up the ball and then they would instantly look to attack on transition. Now an interesting an interesting um, selection by Zinedine Zidane considering, considering the injury crisis he has in the right back position was the selection of who was it? Sorry, I forget his name. Valverde, sorry. Valverde is right back. And uh, a lot of people, when that when the lineups came out, a lot of people thought, what, Valverde, where's Odrio Zola? But honestly, when it, when it came out, if, if you tuned into my previous episode, I mentioned, I mentioned that at m- many a time, Valverde, who was deployed as a wing, winger in the first leg, was it, it might, I'm not sure if it, if it was in the first leg against Liverpool or if it were in the in in the league game against Barcelona. I do remember that Valverde, I think it was in the league game against Barcelona. Valverde was deployed as a right winger, but many a time he would have to track the fullback, the opposition fullback, and that would sort of make it a back five. So he was sort of performing the role of a sort of right wing back many a time in previous games. So maybe that led to Zidane thinking, right, what if I try him at right back? You know, with Vasquez out injured and possibly Zidane not trusting Odrio Zola yet or maybe not seeing seeing that he's not good enough to start. And obviously, we we saw that that was a major target, that Valverde was a major target for Liverpool because of his new role and because of his new position. Mane, they constantly tried to isolate Mane against him or tried to overload him in order to try and create chances from that side. But actually, the first 20 minutes were, weren't really good, but he held on. He, he held on. He wasn't bad. The midfielders, uh, especially Casemiro, made a great effort to help cover for Valverde. And eventually, I think Valverde then moved back into midfield. Eventually, in the second half, I think uh, Marcelo was brought on. I think, yeah, Marcelo was brought on to play as a, as an, I'm not sure if, as the extra fullback. And Real Madrid defended for most of the game, for, for the rest of it mainly, trying to hold on to their 3-1 lead. They managed not to concede. Obviously, I'd attribute that more to Liverpool to Liverpool missing a lot of their chances but once again excellent um, excellent selection and tactics by Zidane again personally I agree with what he, his approach to this game there was no need to try and grab a goal or more it was just defending defending just try and defend the lead especially against a team like Liverpool and yeah basically his um, his approach saw his team qualify for the semi-final so I haven't much more to say and uh, big credit should go out to Zidane to be honest this was a tough week for him a lot of people did not believe that Real Madrid would be able to cope with 
the two Liverpool legs and the Classico in between. But Zidane once again proved everyone wrong and he got nine points out of nine, which is which basically goes to show the quality that Zidane, the quality of the coach and how efficient Zidane is for Real Madrid. Now, to end this episode, I just thought we'd set a little preview for the different clashes between the different teams that are between different teams in the semi-finals. So, for starters, we're going to go with the Real Madrid-Chelsea game. Chelsea are a very possession-based team. We know that ever since Thomas Tuchel came in, they like we know they like to keep the ball. They like to manipulate the opposition with the ball. Now, that's not to say that Real Madrid are not capable. They're also very capable of keeping the ball. But I do believe that Zidane will be wary of Chelsea and he will look to surrender possession to them and play much more on transition, which I do believe is a very good approach, considering how efficient it's been in the past three games. we'll, We'll have to see whether... Whether... Uh, certain injury concerns will be back. For instance, I think Ramos, Ramos got, I, according to I Ramos caught COVID. And the right-back dilemma at the moment, there's Carvajal and Lucas Vasquez, who was playing in the, in the right-back position. I'm not sure when they'll be back. But if they are back, then it will certainly make it a more even contest. Now, one thing Chelsea... Do lack at the moment. It's char- it's it's uh, efficiency in front of goal, something that Liverpool suffered from, and eventually went in Real Madrid's favour. There's also the there's also the threat of Vinicius in behind. If Real Madrid managed to isolate him, let's assume against Aspilicueta, considering that Chelsea's wing backs like to push up a lot and they deploy a three. 4-2-1 or 3-4-1-2 system, they keep three at the back. If he gets isolated against Aspilicueta, that could be a really sticky point for Chelsea. As such, once again, it all depends on the approach that Zidane chooses to take. I believe that he will stick with the same approach that he used against Liverpool. Chelsea will need to try and penetrate the Real Madrid block and try to make the most of the chances that they get to possibly to possibly compete with Real Madrid but obviously once again experience comes into play Real Madrid have won four Champions Leagues in the last five years I think two five years so obviously Real Madrid are favorites for this game but you never know Thomas Tuchel is a master tactician as is Zinedine Zidane once again it's an interesting battle of wits and an interesting battle of battle between two teams that are both equally capable of qualifying. So, let's wait and see. Next up, we're going to talk about the second semi-final tie, and that is between PSG and Manchester City. Once again, I believe Poch will be wary of Man City and their abilities on the ball. He already knows them from his days at Tottenham. So once again, I believe they will stick to the same approach they took against Bayern with a relatively similar team in terms of style of play he's facing. 
also a team that likes to keep the ball, likes to manipulate the opposition, likes to overload to isolate, isolate wingers in 1v1s, you know. Um, and also a team that you can't keep the ball much against, considering that they like, considering that they like to press high, that uh, they like to press high, and they're very aggressive against the ball. So again, I believe that Pot probably Poch will go for the same game plan, the same approach, 4-4-2 mid block, and try and catch Man City out on the counter attacks. And that would be a very reasonable approach, considering that how uh, considering how well it worked for Leeds. Leeds had, to, if you remember back from the weekend, Leeds were playing with ten men, and from one easy, quick. Uh, build up the field, they managed to score. Having sucked in all the pressure that Man City were mounting on them, they scored from a single attack and then went on to grab all three points. So City will have to make sure that their rest defence is, is solid and up for it. That will be really important, especially to contain players like Neymar, very press-resistant players like Neymar. And obviously, there's the fact there's the matter of Mbappe running in behind. Will the centre-backs manage, manage to deal with him and his pace? Again, a question for really, a question we'll get the answer to in, uh, in a really exciting and highly anticipated game. So that's that then for this episode. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one. Talks.